Welcome back to Sports with Sema. I'm Chris Sema, and we have a fun podcast on tap for you. This week, we visit with my good buddy, Mike Monaco, a play-by-play announcer with ESPN, Nesson, and most recently on NBC Sports Chicago with the White Sox broadcast. Mike was called upon in a pinch to jump in for Jason Benetti, who unfortunately tested positive for COVID-19, and Mike was asked to handle play-by-play duties alongside Steve Stone. It was a tough job for Mike, who had to kind of scramble to get his notes together, understand what he was going to be calling for the span of a week, and he handled it perfectly. I thought he did an excellent job. He's somebody I've known for several years now, and I was proud of the way he did this. Also joining me is Kerry Crawley of the Bay Area News Group. He covers the San Francisco Giants, one of the best teams in baseball, and a team that has kind of come out of nowhere as a World Series contender. I wanted to talk to Kerry both about the team he covers and one of the stars now of this team, Chris Bryant, who was traded from the Cubs. Uh, Still getting used to seeing him in that black and orange of San Francisco. I wanted to talk about what the Giants have done this season, their World Series prospects, but also more specifically, Chris Bryant's fit with his team. Uh, KB had some really interesting comments about how he feels like he's a fit with the culture they have with the Giants. And, you know, some people took it as a slight at the Cubs. That's not how I viewed it. I don't think that's how Kerry views it either. But uh, I found his comments to be very interesting, and I think it really makes sense. I think Chris Bryant could land with the Giants long term. I wanted to talk to Kerry about Chris Bryant's fit with that organization and what could be to come, both in October and well beyond. So subscribe to Sports with Sema if you haven't already. Give this podcast five stars. Give it four stars. Give it your honest feedback. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, football season is coming around the corner. This podcast will get football heavy. Of course, plenty of baseball, basketball, whatever else may come. And I wanted to talk some football before we get into the baseball conversation. And I wanted to talk specifically about your Chicago Bears. It was a tough week at Hallis Hall with the Bears announcing that Tevin Jenkins, their second round pick, number 39 overall, would be shut down indefinitely for back surgery. He underwent successful surgery on Wednesday. Uh, It's not clear what part of the back they were repairing, and it's not really obvious when he's going to return, although November seems to be the goal. It's a major loss for the Bears, who say what you will about Charles Leno, but he was consistent and he was available. And now a Bears offensive line that was the Achilles heel last season is stuck with a 39-year-old tackle in Jason Peters, who is a future Hall of Famer, yes, a nine-time Pro Bowler, yes, but... I'm really fascinated to see what he still has in the tank because he was somebody, for all the accomplishments of his career, was unemployed to this point. Uh, Tevin Jenkins was left to be the starting left tackle. Like the Bears released Leno, they cleared everything out and were ready for Jenkins to step in. Uh, They had first round grades on him clearly. He fell to the second round and now it's obvious he fell to the second round because of concerns over his back. And look, I don't fault the Bears for doing this. The Bears were aware of his back issues in college. He didn't have to dig too deep to understand that was in the picture, but... They were willing to take a chance on a player who they saw as a dominant player on the offensive line. A mauler up front, a consistent and steadily dominant tackle who's going to keep getting better and better. And they were willing to buy into that upside. They love the character of this kid and everything that he stood for entering the Bears organization. But obviously the back risk really came back to haunt them here. In a perfect world, this surgery repairs what was lingering and the nagging issues go away for years and years. And you don't have to worry about that. 
For now, with this 2021 team, you have a major void to fill at left tackle. And maybe Peters does that well. Maybe he adequately jumps in at the blindside position and brings continuity to that offensive line. I do think the Bears' interior line will be improved with Sam Musterford, Cody White here, and whether it's James Daniels or Alec Bars at right guard. I think the Bears are in a good place there with their interior. Jermaine Defetti played fine at right tackle last season. Uh, so long as he comes back healthy and in good shape from that hip flexor injury, you feel okay about that. But yeah, you can never ever understate the importance of that left tackle position and without Jenkins it's a big loss uh, I, I this is the story of training camp for me it, more so than Justin Fields and Andy Dalton in the quarterback position it doesn't matter who's quarterbacking if the Bears don't have a strong offensive line and, and that's what was obvious as hell last season uh, whether it was Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles the Bears were not moving the football with a battered offensive line and they started to figure things out a little bit late in the season started to run the football a little bit more the Bears need to have that presence up front the loss of Tevin Jenkins is significant uh, obviously, long-term, you're hoping he's able to recover and be the player you've envisioned him being. But short-term, my concerns are with where this thing goes forward for the Bears. Let's get to it now. Here's Mike Monaco and Kerry Crawley. This is Sports with Semo. Here's Chris Emma. Joined now by my good buddy Mike Monaco of ESPN, ACC Network, Nesson, and most recently on NBC Sports Chicago with the Chicago White Sox television broadcast. Mike, what's good? Chris, it's great to chat with you, man. I'm doing well, thanks, uh, and I appreciate you having me on. Hopefully I don't drive down uh, the podcast ratings out there. No chance, no chance. <laughs> well, take me through, is I, I, you know, I've spoken with major leaguers, uh, NFL players, whoever it may be about getting that call for that, this big opportunity. But this is a unique one because uh, obviously, you know, unfortunate circumstances with our guy, Jason Benetti going down uh, with a COVID positive test. And you get that call that the White Sox need you to jump in on the broadcast. Len Casper, who's done TV, was doing the radio in Minnesota and they needed somebody here at NBC's tower in Chicago to jump in. So uh, take me through when you got that phone call and what the process is like getting ready for that first game. It was pretty crazy, Chris. Um, and you, you said it, you, you hit the nail on the head, like really unfortunate circumstances wouldn't wish sickness on anyone, but especially um, not someone who is as good of a human being, not to mention um, a, a wonderful broadcaster is Chicago area and really national fans know and Jason. Um, so really unfortunate circumstances and wish it hadn't happened, but at the same time, um, grateful that I was asked to fill in and that I was available to do so. And that, um, that the Red Sox and Nesson were okay with me, uh, trading the color of my socks for four games, but, um, to get into the specifics of it, to answer your question. So it was Monday. Um, you know, we sit here the week after this recording this, the middle of the week, but last Monday, where um, the, that day, yeah, I got a text message even, and it was around lunchtime and it was, uh, hey, Jason tested positive. Are you able to fill in? And um, I would say about an hour from there, it got green lighted by everyone that, that had a say in it. And 
um, at that point it was, you know, day of the game and a, a few hours really from when I would head over to, like you said, the NBC tower. So it was a whirlwind. I wish it had not been under those circumstances, but that being said, doesn't diminish, um, my thanks to everyone who, who helped me get up to speed and, and certainly for the, the thoughtfulness of even, you know, asking me to be a part of it. Well, you did great. And I say that not just as a friend, but as somebody who watches White Sox games every night. And the thing I say that because you were prepared, you know, you had everything ready because that's a really tough spot. This is a passionate fan base. They love their White Sox. Uh, You know, the diehards are watching every night. And there's also a comfort with Jason Benetti and Steve Stone. And it's, I know it's a really tough spot to jump in uh, in Jason's shoes and step in with Stoney. So what was it like kind of, uh, I know you watch baseball, obviously, you know, you do games with the cover, uh, calling the Red Sox, ESPN national games, but it's a different animal preparing to broadcast on a, a team broadcast that you've never done before. What was it like between getting that call and having everything ready to do a White Sox broadcast? I appreciate you saying that. First of all, Chris, um, that's really nice of you. And um, to answer your question, um, it's funny, you know, like, like I said, there, there wasn't that much time from when it was all systems go on that Monday to when I was going to head over to the tower. It was about four hours where, and you sit there and you say, okay, like this is the, the amount of time that I have. And like, this is when time management either helps you or hurts you. Uh, and I, you know, I, you just try to think like, what, what is the most important stuff that I can do in the next four hours um, to be ready for, for the game. So um, I have my normal routine um, of how I get ready for games. And I'm sure every announcer has his or her routine and that's how they do things themselves that gets thrown out the window and you really have to consolidate and say, what's the most important stuff. So what I did was watch, I always like to prepare this way anyway, put on the team's most recent game, the starting pitcher's most recent start, whatever it is in the background on an iPad while I do work on my laptop, while I'm looking at stats, while I'm reading clips, while I'm looking at bio information, whatever it is. So while I was preparing in those four hours, I had, I was bouncing around on my iPad through MLB TV to recent games. And so from that, I can get a sense of, without having watched every White Sox Cubs game, the series that preceded the games I was about to do, you can kind of get a sense of what happened and you can pick up some nuggets and you can go farther back and go to Lucas Giolito's last start. He was our starting pitcher um, that, that Monday night. You know, what, what was Steve Stone saying about him in the last start? You know, what, what did he think of his pitch mix? What was Steve seeing? What, how can I set him up to, to bring, you know, Steve down a path where, where he's going to say the enlightening stuff. Cause I'm not going to have any enlightening takeaways necessarily in, in four hours getting ready, but I like to think that I can try to be a good teammate and set up Steve and feed off of the production crew because they've been watching all season and they have graphics built and they have, you know, video flashbacks to other stuff he's done that year. So that's kind of a meandering way of saying uh, you really try to think, okay, what, what can I get done here? Um, And I'll just, I'll, I'll paint it this way as well. Like doing a local broadcast like that, where 
it's not a national, you know, right down the middle 50, 50 split of who you're spending your time on. Like I didn't spend that much time on the twins. If you looked at my twins notes that I had taken before that first game, and I had a little bit more time before doing the second game, but like one through nine in the starting lineup, the way I have my notes assembled for every game in a word document, I basically just had like batting average, OPS, home runs, RBIs. I didn't have any other information on Andrelton Simmons and Max Kepler uh, <laughs> because my focus was was on the White Sox. So uh, if you looked at my notes on the Twins, you would think, does, does this guy know anything about Minnesota Twins baseball? <laughs> well, so you, you do the Nesson broadcast, broadcasting Red Sox games, and, and you sit alongside Dennis Eckersley in that. So you've got experience a long time, both a big-time broadcaster and a big-time former ball player. What was it like sitting alongside Steve Stone? I think he's the best in the business. I, I, I got to imagine that was quite an experience for you. It was, it was, it was absolutely amazing. I told Steve that after the first day. Um, and like, I've listened to Steve a lot. I met him once five years ago when he and Jason were kind enough to have me as a guest up in their booth. Not like he remembered that. He gets that stuff all the time. But I've been a fan from afar for a long time of the way he broadcasts himself and the way that he and Jason the last number of years have done games together. Um, but to sit next to him was pretty special. Like there were, I could probably count on, maybe I would need to fill up two hands on the number of times just in four games that he predicted something that was exactly <laughs> about to happen. Like it was Tony Romo-esque. Yeah, exactly. And Sox fans are used to it, but like he said, Andrelton Simmons was going to ground into a double play. Sure enough, Andrelton Simmons grounds into a double play. Over the weekend, he said Dylan Cease is maybe going to go to the changeup here to get Brett Gardner out in front. And Dylan Cease had thrown like, I don't know, three changeups in the game, maybe to that point. And it's the fifth inning. And sure enough, he breaks out like his fourth changeup of the game. Gardner is way out in front of it and strikes out. So it was incredible. Um, but even more than that, Chris, what I would say about Stoney was – he was incredible to me in terms of just making me feel comfortable. And that can be an interesting spot for him too, right? Like he gets this news on short notice, just like everyone else did. And he's like, who the heck is this guy that looks like he's 14 years old, but no, he was very welcoming and he was awesome. Um, And even a little bit more than that, I would just add on as the last thing on the Steve point that especially in that first game on that Monday night in the early innings, like he jumped in a lot with, providing background and color on certain players like twins players is a good example when they came up to the plate that he knows like how could I have learned that stuff in a very short amount of time and it it helped me to kind of hear what he was talking about and then I can feed off of him and follow up with a question or we can both just keep our eyes out for what he's talking about reading Josh Donaldson's swing the rest of the game something like that Um, so uh, a very again long-winded way of saying he was absolutely incredible and i'm super grateful to how he and the whole production crew um namely producer chris withers um just helped me feel like i was caught up to speed and part of the team that, that's what i enjoyed so much is somebody like i said i've been watching Sox games every night and the stony and benetti dynamic even for just a few years has been so strong and it's just there's such a comfort with it. i just i really admire the way you just jumped in on that it was it's a tough job like it was it you, you do a lot of national broadcasts. You do a lot of big games. Was there a different kind of, I don't know if nerve factor is the right term, but like you get some different kind of butterflies jumping into a broadcast like this. Definitely. Uh, 
Um, I'm someone who I feel some degree of butterflies before any broadcast. And I think that's just the way kind of performance, if you want to label, you know, broadcasting as that, I think that's just the way that goes. And it's funny. Uh, I, I was talking about this with Len Casper last week, because before I ever did my first time doing a major league baseball game in 2019, the week before Len was kind enough to hop on the phone with me. And I just kind of picked his brain like, Hey, what, like, when do I go to the press conference? Like, what do I do around the batting cages? Like, how do I act? I've only been in minor league baseball settings before. Um, and so we talked about a number of things back in 2019, but what he said to me at the time was like, Hey, like, it's okay to be nervous. Like it, that's natural. Like you're going to be nervous and that's fine. And it was amazing how like calming that was. And uh, he and I hopped on the phone um, after the first game that I did last week, after that Monday game, we spoke on Tuesday and he was, I mean, it just, what a wonderful guy and broadcaster right there with, with Jason. Um, and I've reminded him of that. So yes, uh, there were nerves, but yeah, they were heightened probably a little bit um, on that Monday, just because it's all new. And I'm someone that kind of likes to know how things are going to run and have things organized and know what comes when and it, the different spot for everything and that sort of thing. But there's also an element of like, it just is what it is. And it's kind of like sink or swim a little bit. And, you, you know, you're just going to get thrown into it. And it's baseball, you know, and it's a guy in Steve Stone who could do the game solo if he needed to and a production crew that is as good as it gets out there. Um, so, yes, it was a nerve wracking endeavor, but um, there's also a sense of like, yeah, that, that's that's normal. You should expect nerves. And we go from there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what were your impressions of, of the Sox to seeing them up close? I think it's an awesome team. I mean, needless to say, um, I happen to have a, a handful of friends who are pretty diehard Sox fans. So I've talked to them about the Sox even before this all came about. And I've talked to them in the aftermath too. And they've asked me what you asked me. And what I've said to them is like, I mean, they're absolutely as good as anyone in the American league. Um, and, and that's not a groundbreaking statement, but I mean, they're not, they don't have the best record in the American league, but when you look at them big picture, the lineup is only getting better and healthier. The rotation's awesome, especially if Carlos Rodon is back much sooner um, or, or, you know, at the, toward the minimum uh, 10 days in there. Um, the back end of the bullpen, yeah, there's been some some Hendricks and Kimbrell hiccups over the last week and a half or so, but how can you not like those arms and Tapera and Bummer and Kopech and whoever it is? Um, so I think they sack up really well. And, you know, the Rays have, have had some bumps in the road recently with their starting pitching. The Yankees, I mean, they're the ones that have to, to come from behind here and they're in the process of doing it, but they're still not fully healthy by any means. They've dealt with all sorts of different injuries and COVID issues. The Red Sox are, are the team that, that I know best. And, um, you know, they, they've got some work to do. They, they haven't had the second half that they had in the first half of the season. Um, and then I think it's probably, a you know, a little early to start thinking about the the National League and how the Sox, the White Sox, that is, stack up to them. But, um, I mean, they're, they're right there at the top, I think. And um, I'm in a position where, you know, I, I guess I take more of a 50,000 foot view to it because I parachuted in for a few games and I'm not living it every single day, or at least I haven't been over the course of the season, but um, all things considered going through the ebbs and flows of a year, that's a mighty impressive team. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you're in Williamsport right now, about to do the Little League World Series here. Everybody who's done that has said it's one of the coolest experiences they've had in broadcasting and reporting. And uh, what's your what's your level of excitement for this one? What are you looking forward to about this? The level of excitement, Chris, I mean this when I say it, is as high as it has been for like anything I've done. It is right there with um, any other event I've been fortunate enough to call. And a lot of that has to do with my personal history with it. And uh, it's not an illustrious history, but I was the kid, like a lot of kids around the world, not just the country, who when I was, let's say from like eight years old and on to like 13, all I wanted to do every summer, the only thing was to make it to Williamsport. <laughs> um, and I think back fondly on our 12 year old 2005 team back in Cohasset, Massachusetts that won the districts and uh, we made a little run in the state tournament. But uh, needless to say, we did not get all the glory and we got bounced in the state tournament after a pretty good run. Um, but I'm so excited for it. Uh, it's going to be a just an amazing event like it always is. And even more so because we didn't get to have it last year um, get to experience it. So we've got um, only U.S. teams this year due to COVID reasons. There's no international teams here, but we've got 16 teams from the United States. Um, it should be just absolutely incredible and uh, can't wait for the games to get started. Like, I'm still with you on that. I, I think I gave up the dream of playing in the Little League World Series at, like, age 23. Like, I held yeah, yeah. that one forever. You watch it I as think a I kid, undersold it. It just it, – that it, one's going to stick with me. I should have been there in Williamsport. So, jealous you get to live on that dream in some form. If you can't play in it, which I think you're probably a little too old for that one, it's good to be broadcasting <laughs> it. I got to let you go on, on one more. Sell me on this one. Put away your objectivity for a moment. Give me why Notre Dame is going 12-0 and 0 this year. Oh, uh, because they're Notre Dame, man. Uh, yes, as a proud hesitation as a proud. Well, I, I, I am more um, I am probably more pragmatist and, and realist um, and I nothing against them. It's just you, I want you, you got you got you got hard games on a schedule. Uh, I'm, I'm like anyone hoping uh, they put together a, a great season and, and make the, the fellow alums proud. No, I think they'll have a great year. I mean, it's a. It's amazing what Brian Kelly has done and how there's been a, you know, a shift in the program going back the, the last few years from where things were, um, uh, you know, even just a few years ago in the middle of his tenure. But they're, they're a powerhouse. There's no other way to, to describe it, as I often tell uh, my fellow friends from college. Yeah, you know, it's I had my set of frustrations years ago, and you know, because I would just text you ranting about it, like you were having these maniac texts after some of these tough losses. But I'm so pleased with what the program's become—a national, you know, top five type program and perennial college football playoff contender. It's, it'd be nice if Bama and Clemson kind of let somebody else jump in every once in a while. I, I hope this is the year. I'm selling myself on Jack Cohn. I think this running game is going to be. Kind of one of the best in college football. So I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid. It's mid-August. I'm starting to feel the football kind of vibe. So I'm getting there. It's that time. It's that time. Camp is here. Uh, you're out at camp, I know, um, on the football prowl. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. We're, we're in the middle of August, and football is right around the corner. Mike's here. So you did a hell of a job last week. I was proud watching. You did a Thanks, great Chris. job. I know Sox fans enjoyed it. Uh, best of luck with everything moving forward, and enjoy the Little League World Series. Thanks, my friend. A pleasure chatting with you as always, Chris, and, and thanks for the invite. 
All right, joined now by Kerry Crawley of the Bay Area News Group. He covers the San Francisco Giants, the best team in baseball, which August 19th now, I think on April 19th, I would have seen absolutely no chance of saying that. But Kerry, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing quite well, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, you're right. <laughs> Even covering them all season, they've had this best record for about two, three months now. And it's still a shock to hear it because none of us expected it. So I follow your work because I'm a baseball junkie. And I, in particular, I love, you know, those late night MLB TV games. And it's usually the Giants or Dodgers. So uh, I follow the Giants closely. I find them just to be such an enjoyable team because it's been the same core of guys like Crawford and Posey and Belt and down the line. And but it, it didn't really see this 78 and 43 thing coming and not in the same division as the Dodgers and the Padres this season. How has this happened? Like, short question, long answer, I know, but, like, how has this come to fruition? And essentially, they have maximized the potential value out of every single player on the roster, Chris. You look up and down this team, Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, having MVP caliber seasons at the age of 34 years old for both of them. Kevin Gossman, the ace of the staff, having the best season of his career. But then you look at all the different contributors they've had, guys like Lamont Wade Jr., Logan Webb have stepped up when, Heading into this 2021 season, I don't know how realistic those possibilities were, but it's a long list of guys. It's not just two or three. It's 10 to 15 who've exceeded expectations. And when that happens, a really good season happens. And this Giants team has just won with so much depth. They've withstood injuries. And uh, it's really been a pleasant surprise in the Bay Area. So, so before we get into the Chris Bryant dynamic here, I want to talk about one of my favorite players to watch in baseball. That's Brandy Crawford. I, I've been such a big Brandy Crawford fan for a number of years. Uh, I did not see this kind of second coming of his career happening. I mean, he's played at an all-star level before, but it, it, what's behind his kind of offensive surge that, frankly, I thought was years in the past? Well, for one, he's in the best shape of his career. At 34 years old, he has gone out in the offseason and given himself every opportunity to have this kind of season with the shape that he's in. 2019, when he was one of the worst qualified hitters in baseball, 654 OPS, he just wasn't in great shape. And, you know, he was playing through injuries that season uh, and he just was down that point in his career. And then Gabe Kapler, this new coaching staff comes in 2020. They ask him to make some mechanical adjustments. He figures at the, you know, worst season of his career, what does he have to lose? And so he makes those adjustments. He's more open in his stance. He's got a more direct path to the baseball when he swings, he's just seeing the ball so well. And there was a point in 2018 for about six weeks when he was the best hitter in baseball. He hit about 420 for six weeks, made the all-star team. And you thought, okay, Brandon Crawford, could be really good for the Giants moving forward. That didn't happen, but those six weeks, we've essentially seen that same player for the last six months, ever since spring training started. He's been so good, and he's been carrying this Giants team, got MVP chance at Oracle Park the other night, and they were well-deserved. So Chris Bryant, a couple days ago, comes out and says, it feels right being a part of the Giants, and talked about kind of the workmanlike uh, demeanor of his teammates and the culture of that team, and you know, I think some people in Chicago saw that as a shot at, at you know, some of his former teammates with the Cubs and how things ended there with the blow up of that core. But you cover the Giants and kind of understand the culture of that team and exactly what he's talking about. How would you explain kind of what he meant by those comments? 
Yeah, first off, I really think that he's been very cognizant not to say anything bad about his time in Chicago. You can tell how much it meant to him to play for the Cubs, to win a World Series for that organization, and how you know he, he was disappointed to, to be traded. He knew it was a reality during this season, and I think that he was thrilled to come to San Francisco. So I, I just don't think that those comments were at all reflective of what he thought of his teammates in Chicago. I would say that he has meshed with this Giants organization very, very well from day one. Uh, you know, it's an organization that embraced him, embraced his family. And these Giants players, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, they're very much on the same wavelength of show up early, get your work in, uh, you know, keep the line moving. No one needs to be flashy. No one needs to be bigger than the team. And as a result, guys tend to do become bigger than they are. And so Buster Posey's having this incredible season. Brandon Crawford's having this incredible season. And Chris Bryant in San Francisco, he can just be one of the guys. The pressure isn't on him to be a superstar. They're expecting star-like production. They're expecting all-star caliber production. But he can just be one of four, five, six guys that keep the line moving in the Giants organization, in this Giants lineup. And I think that he's really enjoyed that element to this game. Yeah, that's what struck me about Brian. And when he talks about how it feels right with the Giants, like, I mean, this is a different kind of superstar. Like, he's not flashy at all. He's never been that kind of flashy player, kind of uncomfortable in the spotlight, but also like not, you know, he's been in it his entire career. But he just seems so similar to a Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey type where, like you said, you know, show up for BP, go about your business, like, and I started thinking more and more about it. Like it just makes sense. It just happened to be the right trade fit where the Cubs agreed to that price and made the deal. But I think I see him there long-term. Do you see the possibility of that contract extension, both from Bryant's interest and the giants? Absolutely. And I think that one thing that I would add to this whole dynamic is Chris Bryant's 29 years old. He's won an MVP. You can probably count on one hand, the number of players, with his resume and maybe not even that who are willing to play multiple positions in the same game, who are willing to move around the diamond all week long, just so that they can, you know, help give a guy a rest or, or make the team uh, give the team a better opportunity to win. And that's what Chris Bryant has done in his career in Chicago. It's what he's doing in San Francisco. So he's kind of the perfect model for what Farhan Zaidi, president of baseball operations and Gabe Kapler giants manager are building. He's a totally selfless guy. You mentioned that he's kind of a superstar who stays away from the limelight. I would think that someone who doesn't have a defined position, who is an above average athlete, who can move around the diamond, that's kind of like their whole deal is they're just going to put the team in the best possible position to win. And so that's why I just think that if the Giants are going to go out and spend money this offseason, and you know, for all intents and purposes, that very much has been the direction is after 2021, they're going to be spending the guy who they want to give the money to is Chris Bryant. I just think that if there's a mega deal to be had in this market for uh, someone coming to San Francisco, it's Chris Bryant. And the fact that he's already in the door, already enjoying his time only adds to my conviction on that front. Yeah. I, I loved hearing him too. I don't know which colleague of yours it was on the giants B, but asked him if Scott Boris would let him sign off on a deal before hitting the market. And he kind of chirped back like, well, I'm in charge here. Like he's kind of resented the idea even dating back to his years in Chicago when the possibility of an extension loomed that Boris is in charge of him. Like he's almost kind of snapped back on that one. So I loved hearing it again. I, uh, what do you think a Bryant deal would look like in San Fran? Oh, it's such an interesting topic. And one that we've really started to ponder over the last several days, I think at minimum uh, five for one fifty, And that's if the market bottoms out, maybe um, I, I think that it a lot depends on the CBA and, 
what's redrawn and if there's kind of a new luxury tax threshold, which would serve as a soft salary cap in Major League Baseball. I wouldn't rule out the possibility of something like six or seven for 200. And I don't know what he was offered in Chicago. And I don't know what the open market will dictate he'll be offered this winter. But when you look around the league, you look around at what current stars are making, that just seems to be kind of right. And so it's all guesswork here. We're all look basing this off of previous contracts that have been signed by major league baseball stars. And I, I just, it feels like somewhere in that five, six year range, 175, 200 could be right, but it's so hard to know, Chris. And I'm sure that everyone in Chicago has thought about those terms for a lot longer than those of us in San Francisco. Has. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So w- when the Cubs, it became clear they're going to have their sell off. And I, I kind of went on record with our 670thescore.com, kind of looking at different options and trade fits. And I said, Brian, to the Giants, but I said it would be for Joey Bart. I, I thought Bart was going to be the return. And I thought that because I believe that Jed Hoyer was going to play poker and kind of create, you know, a bidding war between competitors. And I, I keep wondering, Caleb Killian and uh, Alexander Canario, did, did the Cubs get a good return? Or do you feel like the Giants just kind of won that deal? Uh, it's it's obviously guesswork right now because we're not yeah, going to know really for a few here. years, but 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 Canario is a big power hitter and the Giants really liked him. And I, I think that, you know, he was for sure one of their top six, seven prospects in the system. The only issue with Alexander Canario and the Giants was he's already on the 40 man roster. And so he was taking up a valuable roster spot for a team that likes to use all 40 spots and does plan to need all 40 spots this season. They send guys up and down with regularity. And so, I think that just the fact that Canario was probably not going to be in the big leagues until 2023 at the earliest, that made it palatable for them to move in. And Killian, this is a guy who's really reinvented himself in the Giants system. He's understood pitch shapes. He's taken to coaching, kind of a modern pitcher in terms of how analytics can help a guy's uh, player development. Uh, And I I really think that he could make the major leagues as a starter. There's some relief, uh, you know, downside to him, but, I do think that he's a major league arm and someone who can fill up the strike zone, which is really, really important in this day and age. Look, he's not going to blow you away with velocity, but he is someone who's got multiple pitches he can throw for strikes. And when you can do that at a very high level, like he's shown this season, I do think that there's a major league future for him. I don't know whether it's going to be as a starter or reliever, like I said, but I think that Canario is the bigger upside play in that deal. You know, you know, what's funny about this whole deal with the, the Giants kind of surging this season and the Cubs doing the teardown is, for the last several years, Jed Hoyer has kind of pointed to the Giants as one of those teams as an example of holding on too long and, and believing that, you know, you might have held on to those core guys and you should have made the move earlier. And here are the Giants taking off and in turn poaching a guy out of the Cubs course. So, but these are the, you're covering one of those really fun seasons where it just kind of happens unexpectedly. It's a great group of guys, honestly, like I I've covered a couple of those teams where it just kind of comes out of nowhere and they're a blast. So I know the seasons kind of come at you fast, but like what kind of world series potential do you see for the giants? It's going to be really tough with the Dodgers and the Brewers in, in this NL race. And uh, everyone was talking about the Padres at the beginning of the season. Of course, the Braves could be a factor. The giants are better than those teams in my mind. And they're pretty clearly better than those teams. Does that mean the giants, if they end up in a wild card game against the Padres will definitely win. No, they could easily be bounced by them, but they've got a more realistic shot of making the World Series than the Padres and Braves. Are they better than the Dodgers and the Brewers? 
They took two out of three from Milwaukee. They've gone head to head. I think uh, they're eight and eight and 16 matchups with the Dodgers so far this year, Chris. So it's hard to say. I'd probably give a slight edge to the Dodgers and the Brewers in a five or seven game series. But, you know, look, I, I came to this season betting against the Giants. I thought they'd win 80 to 82 games. And uh, right now they've proven everyone, including myself, wrong. So who am I to bet against them again in terms of the World Series? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been uh, it's been surprising. It's been fascinating to watch. Uh, Kerry, on behalf of all Chicago, take care of Chris Bryant and enjoy that team. <laughs> Looking forward to heading out to Wrigley Field next month, Chris. Uh, I can't wait, and uh, I'm sure the Bryant at Wrigley uh, celebration will be quite something to see there. This is Sports with Sema.